And actually, this uh, makes me think of something that I didn't think about the first time. But it's very illustrative of, like, Rachel's position in life. Mm-hmm. Like, she's a pretty uh, white blonde girl. Her mom is a lawyer. Like, her family has money. And, like, she can do, like, all of those things. And mm-hmm. so, like, she, uh, up until, like, this whole, oh, sorry, I just bumped my thing. But, um, uh, up until, like, this whole war, she never had the experience of, uh, you know, not being able to fight, of being helpless. And that's, mm-hmm. uh, like, uh, you know, me, I'm, I'm black. And, like, one of the things you learn is, like, sometimes the best way to stay safe and stay alive is to not fight. Mm-hmm. And even if you are right, even if, you know, things should be going differently, like, that's the safest thing. And it's not an experience she's ever had. And, like, mm-hmm. on the one hand, I don't blame her for not wanting to be in that place because, fuck, it sucks. But, like the thing yeah it's also a very privileged place to be coming from mm-hmm. um yeah uh but this is something that we see with her claustrophobia and with any the only times when rachel is ever truly afraid like bone deep afraid um is when she doesn't have any control we saw it when she was a cat in a cat carrier being presented to visitor three um we saw it uh when her dad was moving across the country um, and she didn't have any control over that. And that made her really afraid um, because as much as she can be paralyzed by decisions, like it, even having a decision in front of you can be in some ways that paralyzing loss of control, um, especially when both, options are bad um but yeah it's uh it's very much kind of a a core thing that we see uh kind of explicitly for the first time here um and i think it's very interesting yeah um she wakes up um, opens the window like she does every morning and Tobias arrives and, uh, my shipper heart grows three sizes. Uh, mm-hmm. I just, <laughs> I, I love them, Tobias doing math with Rachel to keep better hold of his humanity. And then like Rachel needing the comfort and the company after having nightmares all night. It's just like, they're there for each other, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, Tobias is nervous uh, because he hasn't been back to the Yerk pool since he got stuck. Um, and since he, you know, now he has his morphing powers again, he can actually join them. Um, and Rachel's like, you don't have to join us. Like, you, it, it's okay. Um, basically affording him the opportunity to back out um 
which is an opportunity she would never afford herself. Yeah, um, and, like, honestly, none of the kids, like, whenever they are given the option to back off, they all have their reasons, but mm-hmm. even when they are terrified and nobody else would blame them for backing off, they never take that opportunity, mm-hmm. and it's just, like... Often uh, to their detriment. <laughs> Right. Like, burnout is real, kids. It happens. <laughs> Even when you're fighting a war, you have to be aware of burnout. <laughs> mm-hmm. Especially when you're fighting a war. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Um. But he's uh very convinced that he does have to do it. Um, which I can understand for him for... Like, I can... Un- I can viscerally understand the position of like i have my morphing powers back that means i must be with them every time partially because i missed out on so many others Mm -hmm. um like is is a thought process that i would have (laughs) um so it it's I, i can very much understand but he's found a yerk pool entrance for them uh and uh it it's it's a good one. <laughs> Frog cry. But, yeah. The Yerkpool entrance they have found is in a McDonald's. Uh you have to go up to the counter and order a happy meal with extra happy. Uh and then you go around like you're going to the bathroom, but you duck into the kitchen, and then you walk go into the walk-in refrigerator, uh, and there's an entrance there somehow. Um, mm-hmm. they have all morphed fly and they're kind of just hanging around waiting for someone to basically make this order so that they can go in with them. Um, and, uh, they find someone, they follow in after her, um, into the refrigerator and they wait for a few seconds and then uh, uh, an alarm goes off. Uh, unauthorized life form detected. And the controller uh, is exasperated. Security fanatics. It's just a couple of lousy flies. Uh, but the voice gives some instructions. Shut your eyes tightly to protect against retinal damage from the Gleet biofilter. And Axe immediately is like, we have to get out of here now. Now, get out, 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 get out. <laughs> Uh, we get the, the insight. Axe never yells, so if he does yell, you have to figure it's a good idea to pay attention. Um, so they all leave, uh, and just barely get out with their lives. Uh, all of them are, uh, blinded, essentially, in their, like, their eyes literally melt, uh, due to the, uh, uh, the, the laser thing, the draken Mm-hmm. thing the glee go- biofilter yes uh as it uh as it destroys everything that isn't a human or yerk um and tobias says oh well uh if they have this technology then they have it at all the entrances now that means we can't get in to the yerk pool at least not mm-hmm. in any of the ways that we have done before um, 
And Rachel is frustrated by this because it feels like they've been outsmarted. Um, and <laughs> uh, she says there has to be some other way. Marco's like, I'd like to know what it would be. For a moment, no one said anything. Then Cassie said, well, there is one way. I take it back, Marco said. I take it back. I can tell by your tone, Cassie. I really don't want to know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because her idea is mole. They're going to dig down to the earth pool. <sighs> These poor kids. Yep. Uh... So they acquire a mole, um, all of them, and they find, with Tobias's help, the what they believe to be the center of the Yerk pool, like right above the pool itself. Um, and then they find a place nearby that is like an, uh, a for-sale house that has been for sale for a while, that has a shed in the back. Um, that rests on the dirt, uh, where they can morph in privacy and do their digging. Um, and, uh, it's a bad location. It, it's a good location for what they're doing, but it's a bad location because, like, there's no airflow. It's cramped and tiny. Um, and, uh, you know, Jake's like, you know, it, it, it'll it work great. Once we're all in mole morph, it'll be roomy enough. And Cassie's like, my idea was not all of us being moles at once. Uh, because only one mole can dig at a time. Mm-hmm. And they all stare at her because they all had ideas of people, you know, they're, they're going down together and digging together. And now everyone's like, oh, no, we're gonna, we're gonna have to be down there alone, digging alone, Mm -hmm. underground Mm -hmm. alone, (laughs) like dirt on all sides alone. (laughs) Um, and specifically it's Marco who is voicing everyone's concerns. Um, and Rachel being Rachel, uh, it just kind of blurts out, oh, you big baby, no problem. I say these things, I don't know why. They just pop out of my stupid mouth. Because, of course, then Marco turns around and says, oh, look, we have a volunteer. Uh, mm. And now that she said it, she feels like she has to back it up. So she's like, all right, I'll go first. Um, and she morphs the mole. And it is terrifying because it is it can't see well at all it can barely hear um it does have a very good sense of touch mm-hmm. um and she actually gets swept up in the mole mind uh uh and as she starts to dig um she's honestly very excited about digging the earth feels very inviting um she wants to get in and eat all the earthworms Everyone else is just like, yeah, look at her go. She's gung-ho. And they're like, mm, maybe she's not in control, guys. <laughs> uh, so they snap her out of it. Um, 
And she's like, all right, well, uh, she's, she's very emphatic that she did not, in fact, lose control, even though everyone knows that she did. Um, mm-hmm. but she starts to dig. And the description here of the digging is very terrifying. Good. It's terrifying and it's very, very good, uh, at capturing that feeling of claustrophobia. Mm -hmm. Uh, down and down I dug till my entire body was in the dirt and now I was no longer hiding beneath the mole's mind I was a human being digging blindly into the dirt why should it have been terrifying why was it the way the dirt pressed in all around me the fact that I could not possibly turn around I couldn't breathe only I could breathe yes I was breathing but that panic that terror of suffocating in a dark place kept rearing up I could push it down, I could reason with myself, but that fear of suffocation was too strong. I was buried alive. Correction, I was burying myself alive. Down I went, down and down. I knew I should be digging a vertical hole, but it was impossible. The mole couldn't dig that way. I dug. I, how long, I don't know. It seemed like a very long time. And then, quite suddenly, I couldn't stand it anymore. I needed air. I tried to back up, but no, I couldn't move that way. She has to, like, dig a turnaround like a little small round chamber and then uses that to turn around and she races up out of the tunnel. Um, and everyone's like, all right, well, how far did you go? You were down there for 20 minutes. And she's like, uh, excuse me. <laughs> it's only been 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like, I, I don't know, maybe three feet. And Jake's like, Oh, three feet straight down. That's, you know, that's really good. We can get here you know, we can get going. And, uh, Rachel breaks the news to him, like, no, we can't dig straight down. It's just downhill, maybe a foot deep. Um, and Tobias rightly is like, oh, fuck, this is going to take fucking forever. And so they do one hour shifts of all of them standing there digging as, mm-hmm. as just, just the, I can feel strongly the the sense of sitting in a hot-as-fuck shed, eating some McDonald's, while you're waiting for your uh, friend to dig for an hour and then come back, and then you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and after all six of them have gone um marco suggests that they someone carry a string down to see how far they got no one volunteers everyone fucking hates this um sweating and pale from the stress and fear and the constant morphing uh so rachel volunteers because she is the one who volunteers um even if it's one of the things that I really love about Rachel, even though it makes me so incredibly sad for her, is that she's willing to take these things on for everybody else because mm-hmm. she doesn't want everybody else to have to do it. And she's 13. Uh-huh. Um, but they measure it with a string uh, and Axe approximates uh, the 
length. Um, I love that he asks, would you like the measurement in feet or in meters? Um, and he approximates that the total length of the tunnel is approximately 41 feet long. He thinks that the slope ratio is about six to one, one foot down for every six feet of tunnel. That would mean we tunneled down approximately 6.8 feet. <laughs> I was emerging into my human body now and still trying to shake off the unholy willies. Six lousy feet. Closer to seven lousy feet. Axe corrected. <laughs> I loved him. He's very good. Uh, and a Tobias is very not looking forward to this idea that it's going to take them a week to do this. Um, so you've got to be kidding. I'm a bird. I have no business being in a tunnel. Hmm. Um, and Rachel almost agrees with him. Almost says, no, we're, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do this. We're not gonna do this for a week. Like, no fucking way. This isn't, this isn't gonna work. It's gonna take too fucking long. We're not gonna do it. But, of course she doesn't. Uh, in fact, I was the strongest voice for going forward. See, I wasn't going to let the claustrophobia scare me. I wasn't going to let fear dictate what I did. Or maybe I was just a fool. Yep. Uh, well, not that she's a fool, just uh, Yep. They're 13. They are children. Yep, the bravado is real. Yeah. Um, we get a nice summary of all of them digging um, after school in shifts, doing their homework uh, uh, as, as they wait for their turn. Axe listening into their history and laughing at their science. Um, they got pretty good at digging, but they kept running into rocks. That they had to like dig around. Um, it's just all extremely time consuming. Uh, and they dig for four more days. Uh, and then Cassie comes up and says, uh, we're blocked. There's a solid rock. And Rachel's like, no, 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 no. We didn't do this just to be blocked by some rock. And I'm over here like, you're digging into the ground. Eventually you're going to hit rock. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, Axe calculates that they're about 25 feet down. Uh, and, uh, she does, in fact, find the rock. It's a huge fucking rock. Uh, it, she's almost hopeful that Cassie is correct, that they're totally blocked, because then it means they don't have to dig anymore. But then, Rachel feels a breeze. There's a faint crack between two rocks. Um, and, uh, when they come back uh, the next day, uh, they all go down together. They dig out the area between the two rocks. There's definitely a fissure. Um, and they definitely can squeeze through um, as moles. Uh, and it just the... It, it's very... It's very indicative of, like, every squeeze you have ever read or seen on TV um, about, like, spelunkers. That that point where they have to go through the really tight space. Um, it, it, is, it is almost, uh, you know, this is my hole. Um, 
and no one wants to do it. But of course, Rachel goes. Um, yep. She does the bravado thing again where, where Marco is like, uh, this is bad. Uh, you know, if a dirt tunnel collapses on us, we can dig our way out as moles. If the rocks collapse on us, ain't fucking nothing we can do. Uh, Rachel has to force herself to stay very still and not start running. Uh, and she says, if you're scared, I'll go in. And Marco's, Marco calls her bluff. He's, I'm scared. Help yourself. There must be something kind of liberating to just be able to say, I'm scared. Like it's no big deal. I can't do that. I don't know why. I just can't. Uh, but she pushes her way through. And on the other side, she falls into a cave. Um, it's actually a bat cave. Um, and the landing is kind of soft, mostly because there's a whole bunch of bat shit on the ground. Um, mm -hmm. And I want to say about the description of the fall, that it was genuinely very frightening. Like, holy shit. <laughs> Everything turned out all right, but that was so scary. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can, just so many bad things underground <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, when you can't see or hear or do anything about where you're going and you're just feeling totally blind because you don't have any idea once the other side you go through a hole and then you fall through it you don't know how long you're going to be falling for mm -hmm. uh, she could have just kept falling until she fell far enough that it would have been fatal yeah or she could have landed on something harder than a pile of bat shit yep Hell, maybe their calculations were wrong and it was the Yerk pool under them and she would have just fallen the fuck through. Like, would have been terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but they all, they all go through, um, and end up in the Bat Cave. They all demorph. Um, and Cassie is very glad, extremely glad to have found this. Um, and, no one else can really understand why, because, like, okay, we fell down here. How are we going to get out? We can't reach the tunnel that we came through. Um, and Cassie's like, no, the bats fly out of here. There has to be an exit. Like, mm -hmm. there's definitely an exit. Um, uh, and so they're all very glad about this. Um, and... Uh, they all acquire bats that didn't have one. Really, it's just Tobias who didn't have a bat. Because they all morphed a bat to get through um, the traps to the Pemelite Crystal in Book 10. Um, <laughs> I love... I, I honestly love uh, the, the banter that gets thrown around as this is all happening. Because, like... Mm -hmm. Rachel stands up once she demorphs and is entirely surrounded by soft, warm, fuzzy bats. Because <laughs> the cave isn't very tall, so her head is just in the bats. And she's like, Marco, be sure and stretch out up on your tiptoes now. <laughs> he does it, I guess. And he stands up uh, and just in, in bats. <laughs> Which they all really need to get their rabies shots. <laughs> Yeah. Damn, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
but Tobias acquires the bat. You know, Jake said in a con- conversational tone as we waited for Tobias to acquire the bat. From the point where Edelman said maple and ginger oatmeal, I should have known this was going to end stupidly. Instant maple and ginger oatmeal, Cassie said. Battles that involve oatmeal are just never going to end up being historic, you know, Jake went on. Gettysburg? No major oatmeal involvement. The Battle of Midway? Neither side used oatmeal. Desert Storm? No oatmeal. (laughs) Battle of Bunker Hill? No oatmeal used by the British. No oatmeal used by the Americans. D-Day? No mention of oatmeal. (laughs) Jake Jake just going on in the background as everyone else is having this conversation is just like... (laughs) It's very And you know what? Honestly, I kind of get it, though. Because, like... What kind of bullshit it, the answer is oatmeal? Who the fuck? Yep. <laughs> like, I'm with him there. I'm, I'm totally with him there. Yeah. It, it is, it is that trope of like, uh, something relatively benign on Earth being deadly to the aliens, you know? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, in, in, in the way that, is common in sci-fi because in almost all sci-fi you usually see the aliens are all like co-compatible in each other's environments. Mm-hmm. Um and so it's it's just it's good to see. It's it's very like in signs where the the fucking aliens are weak to water. <laughs> yeah. I feel like if KA had written this like today, it would just straight up be mint. Because like mint is like poisonous either mint or like hot peppers Hmm. those are meant to be poisonous humans are just like oh tasty yeah i I mean i think part like there were other things that people ate that like they could have done research on and been like oh yes it's this thing that people eat that's supposed to be poisonous that that Mm -hmm. does it but like they chose oatmeal because it's fucking ridiculous oh yeah absolutely (laughs) like uh like you cannot you can't take it seriously. <laughs> Not even a little bit. Uh, uh, so they all morph bat and they uh, relearn how amazing echolocation is. It's and they all good. they all head out in the direction that the bats can sense um, is the exit to the cave. Uh, and just as they're getting out just as they're getting out uh she feels a change in air pressure uh that means there's an opening but it's not an opening to the outside and everyone has the sense of like mm, we know where that opening goes we know it goes mm-hmm. to the yerk pool it, it can't not go to the yerk pool and jake just like we could just go home uh Mm -hmm. and then we get uh rachel everyone in a group has a role to play at least that's how it always works out my role was to say let's do it let's go that's what we came here for but i was tired and i'd had a really really bad few days digging down to this stupid cave so i said let's do it that's what we came here for Sometimes it's hard to get out of a role once you've started playing the part. Uh, hey, look, it's my thesis for Animorphs. 
dislike. And, uh, God, like every time this comes up, it's just like, uh huh. I I get where, God, I I, I can't even say it's uh like just a kid thing. I know people who are. 27, 28, 33, who are just like, I have a role. I have to, I have to do that role. And it's just, uh, it hurts, man. Yeah. I frequently end up having a role in most of my friend groups as the sensible one. Oh no, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So like, I can, I can feel it. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. and it's not something I'm usually very like. I'm aware of it, and I'm not usually uh um bitter about it. Uh, mm-hmm. but it's just like I can, I can see it. And you're absolutely right. Like this is not something that is unique to children. This is something that happens, um, mm-hmm. and can get extremely toxic in certain groups, mm-hmm. especially under like traumatic circumstances. At the same time, their group does not function if they don't do this. It's yeah, and that's the worst part. Yeah, like, it's very much a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Ugh, I'm emotional. You ever get emotional about some fictional kids? Yep, frequently. Yeah, every damn day of my life. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they float, they fly down through this new opening, and surprise, surprise, it does go out into the Yerk Pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that they're there, <laughs> Cassie's like, alright, now what? <laughs> um, and basically, they're right, they're, theory here is like okay we did we did find a way in this means that you know we can leave we can go get the oatmeal that we've had marco (laughs) stockpiling for the past week (laughs) uh and uh we'll we'll bring it back and we'll figure out a way to bring it through here and you know use it um and and tobias is like well cassie is the one who who recommends like well what if we Instead of trying to feed it to the human controllers, what if we dump it in the Yerk pool? Because mm-hmm. then the Yerks will be addicted, but they won't be in a host. Um, mm-hmm. And Tobias is like, uh, well, I thought Yerks only ate Candrona rays. Do they even have mouths? Um, you know, could they ingest this at all? <laughs> we get another... Mm-hmm. Beautiful moment of Axe the Jock not remembering everything from his exobiology class. <laughs> we love a himbo. <laughs> uh, and, and I just, I love that everyone is very aware of this at this point. He says, actually, if I remember my exobiology classes, and sadly, I sometimes fell asleep. Yeah, we know. You didn't like exobiology class. <laughs> I didn't fall asleep, accent sounding injured. I merely let my mind wander and became very calm and restful and not completely alert. <laughs> Did you snore when you got all calm and restful and not completely alert? 
The point is, on occasion, I would pay some attention in class. (laughs) Oh, oh, buddy. (laughs) It's okay, Axe. We'll still respect you in the morning. (laughs) It's okay, Axe. We've all all been there. (laughs) Uh... But I love this. I was just resting my eyes bullshit. Like, Right. <laughs> uh, uh, but basically he says, yeah, you know, the Yerks also absorb other nutrients while they're in the pool, besides just the Candrona. And Jake's like, so if we dump enough instant maple and ginger oatmeal, they would absorb it, right? And Axe is like, yeah, you know, maybe. <laughs> uh, and then Tobias notices that they have some company. Uh, two shiny steel balls about the size of a beach ball. Um, they're moving towards them, and once again, we have Axe immediately flip out and be like, get out, we need to leave. Because these are hunter robots. Uh, and they have dragon, they are equipped with dragon beams. Um, and uh, are immediately getting shot at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Axe, Tobias, and Rachel, I believe, are all immediately hit badly. Um, mm-hmm. like, uh, Tobias is hit first, then as Axe, Jake, and Rachel, um, are attempting to catch him, similar to how they caught George Edelman, um, Axe is hit, uh, and then Rachel, uh, loses an arm completely, um, trying um, to to shield Tobias. Yeah, and like actually, it looks like Rachel actually got hit first, but like Tobias is the first one to go down from it. Yeah, yeah, she right. got hit and kept going. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Cassie and Marco do some ingenious throwing of rocks at the hunter robots in order to. Uh, help save the others, but again, it's not enough. Um, one of the robots, uh, fires from just 20 feet away at Tobias. She sweeps her good wing over him to try to shield him. And the dragon beam burns the wing clear off, uh, and she falls, uh, like a stone into the Yerk pool itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has some immediate panic because she's in the Yerk pool and she can feel the Yerks brushing up against her. Um, but she calms herself down by telling herself, they can't infest you. You're a tiny ass bat. Your brain is too small. Just stay in morph. You'll be fine. Uh, and more than that, none of the Yerks appear to be paying any attention to her. Not any of the Yerks in the pool, not any of the controllers around the outside. Yeah, because there are bats, and she comes to the very uh, wise conclusion that, right, I am probably not the first bat to fall into the yurt pool because of the hunter robots and bats getting lost. Yeah, so. uh, they're they're the yurks are just attacking any animal to be careful. They they don't know that these are the animorphs. Um, she also has the realization that the yurks are blind; they can't see while they're in the pool. Um, and, uh, so the ones that are brushing up against her don't fucking know what she is. Um, 
Uh, she is very concerned about the others and doesn't know what she should do. Um, but the current in the pool is dragging her closer to a pier and she realizes, oh, well, if I hide under the pier, I can probably morph. And so she does. Mm-hmm. Um, she hides under the pier. She demorphs, just barely keeping her head above water. Um, and, uh, then she begins to morph Ant. Um, Ant morph is bad always. Ant morph is always bad. In this case, it's not as bad as it has been before, mostly because there aren't any ant smells to mm-hmm. overpower the ant brain. Um, uh, but she morphs the ant um, and manages to kind of ride on top of the water, uh, yay surface tension, um, enough to get onto the pier and then get onto the controller um, that was just reinfested. Uh, so she hides underneath the controller's collar, um, and still doesn't really know what to do. Uh, but she knows she has to get off of this person, so she jumps off of the controller, finds a dark place, theoretically, maybe, um, and, uh, demorphs to human. She ends up in a warehouse kind of thing, like a storeroom. Um, <laughs> that happens to be uh, storing a whole bunch of dragon beefs. <laughs> uh, and so she gets one. And uh, when a hork comes in to, like, do <laughs> do laundry, I didn't even realize that the first time. Uh, Wait, no, drop really? like a sack of laundry. Um, yeah, so the hork comes in uh, to checks something out. A human follows him. She shoots both of them, knocks them out uh, with the dragon beam. Uh, Gets into the uh, woman's clothing um, because walking around in a morphing suit would be very obvious. Mm -hmm. Uh, And just continues to leave the area shooting anyone she sees. (laughs) I mean, it works for her for a good minute. <laughs> it does. Um, uh, and then as she, she gets out into the Yerk pool, uh, kind of complex in general, um, she, She has some thoughts about what would happen if she just tried to fry the pool with the dragon beam. Realizes that that would be, uh, it, that would lead to instant death on her part, essentially. Um, and she, uh, finds that in a center, in the center of a circle of hork near the pool is Axe, who also seems to have fallen. And morph back because he doesn't have to find necessarily someplace secret to morph back because he's an Andalite, doesn't have an identity to hide. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's surrounded by 30 hork warriors. And they capture him. They they put like a sheath over his tail. 
and just take him captive entirely. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I can only imagine the fear and anger that he's feeling there. Because, like, the fact that he lets himself be captured like that tells me that probably Jake is whispering in his ear. Mm-hmm. Because, like, there's no fucking way an right. Andalite would let themselves be... Ca- like, they would much rather go down fighting. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, I can only imagine what Jake is saying in his ear to to get him to stand down. Um And, yeah, so Rachel is like, all right, well, we got to find where they have Axe. Um, she runs into uh, another controller who is, like, gossiping, essentially, and saying, oh, yeah, there's two others that they captured. Um, and so Rachel's like, all right, so three of us are captured uh, in some place. Uh, Visser 3 isn't here yet, but he's on his way. And we need mm-hmm. to do something. Marco is trying to reach out and thought speak, but she's a hu- she is a human right now and cannot answer. Uh, and then she uh, watches a human get caught by some other Hork-Bajir who uh, she had some cereal in her lunchbox, essentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, it's, it's, it's nothing. Uh, it's a mistake. Uh, I don't know how it got there. It's, it's very stereotypical, like a, a drug addict being caught with drugs. Um, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I love, I love the detail. It's something the humans call raisin brand. Human bodies need fiber in order to function properly. <laughs> <laughs> and this other human controller that's there is like, I, I'm in a human body. I know what fucking raisin brand looks like, <laughs> and, and I know and what this is, mi- <laughs> this is oatmeal. Yeah. Uh, and so we learned that this is like uh, kind of a, a little epidemic in the in, among the Yerks, where certain hosts are getting addicted to the stuff, and they're having to like confiscate the stuff as contraband. They've taken over 200 pounds of oatmeal from hosts, which is just so much oatmeal. That is a lot of oatmeal, now that I think about it. What the fuck? (laughs) Uh, So... Sorry, I'm I'm reading, catching up. Um, no problem. So she's trying to find where they are. Uh, she f- she figures out where the oatmeal is because she watches where the Hork-Bajir take it, um, and it's guarded by several alert Hork-Bajir. Um, but it is very close to the Yerk Pool itself, which is a dumb idea. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but apparently, mm-hmm. it's just behind the cafeteria. Um, presumably because that's where people are sneaking it in. Um, so it, it kind of makes sense, but also like, why would you put it that close? Because they're not thinking about it. So mm-hmm. if they've got all these new security measures, 
And they're like, the Andalite bandits can't know about this yet, yep. because they only found out about it by accident anyway, so. Uh, so, the uh, Marco's free. She doesn't know where he is. Jake, Tobias, and Axe are all prisoners. Cassie is somewhere, uh, but we don't know. Um, and Visser 3 is on his way. They need to figure out what to do. Uh, an alarm goes off in the direction of where she'd shot all of those people. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, that was stupid. I should have realized they'd be found. Now the Yerks would know they hadn't gotten all of us. Uh, everyone's rushing around. Um, and someone grabs Rachel and is like, what's the matter with you? Get to your action, action station. There are more Andalite scum among us. And the, <laughs> the dude lets her go and starts to run off. And then he's like, wait a minute. And he turns <laughs> around to go confront her and she shoots him in broad fucking daylight and yells like, oh, wait, he's, it's him. It's him. He tried to shoot me with this thing. And everybody comes around and encircles the dude and she gets away. Look, it worked, okay? It worked. <laughs> the Yorks are so dumb. <laughs> they are sometimes, though. They super are. Uh, but Cassie finds Rachel and the two of them kind of sneak away. Um away from the the people who are now actively looking for Rachel. Um uh and then a bug fighter arrives. Uh Visser 3 is here. Visser 3 is always here. Um and uh Visser 3 is very uh insistent that nobody fucking move. Seal every fucking exit. Everyone just freeze because I have some of my own troops coming down and they're going to inspect all of you. Uh, and so everyone freezes. Uh, and Cassie and Rachel are like, oh, well, fuck. What are we going to do? <laughs> and Rachel's like, well, get ready to run. And Cassie's like, excuse me? And Rachel performs the same damn trick for the second time. She turns on a nearby Taxon and says, he moved, he's an Andalite, and shoots him, then shoots another human controller, and another one, and then they run. <laughs> and I just like the Visser, who's firing over there? I said freeze. And it's, dude. <laughs> yup. Like, they're firing, so of course they are going to stop when you tell them. Yep, yep. Uh, and so they run into the cafeteria, and that's where they find Marco, who's been hiding in a, uh, cabinet, essentially, as a gorilla. Um, <clears throat> he is specifically in the food pantry, sitting on top of canned minestrone and eating a banana. <laughs> as a gorilla yep yep uh so they're they they have caught up with each other he's like do you have a plan and she's like no do you and he's like no um cassie is the one who has a plan the stupid oatmeal that's the key if that was in the pool they'd all go nuts at least it would be a huge distraction 
Uh, so once again, we have Cassie being a fucking badass when she doesn't have any chance to think about it. Um, mm-hmm. and the oatmeal is like right behind them, like through the, on the other side of the wall where they are in the cafeteria. And so they're like, all right, uh, Rachel goes elephant and breaks down the wall. Uh, and then, uh, things get a little chaotic. As she, as Marco grabs the dragon beam that she drops, she tears down the wall. They all go tumbling out. The shed is right there. They take out the two Hork-Bajir that were guard, or the four Hork-Bajir that were guarding it. Um, and she sees a bunch of barrels. They're basically like kegs of oatmeal at this point. In, inside the shed, grabs one. And throws it into the yerk pool. So there's just a big barrel of oatmeal floating in the yerk pool. And mm-hmm. Marco points the dragon beam at it. And now they're in a standoff. Uh, because Visser 3 uh, doesn't want them to shoot. And they want to be able to get their friends and get out. Mm-hmm. Uh... He points out that there are about a thousand Yerks in the pool. The product in the barrel might affect half of them before we could get it cleared up. 500 Yerks. Um, and in return, they want their compatriots released. Um, and Visser 3 is getting ready to give the answer. Uh, and Rachel knows before he says anything what Visser 3 is going to do. He was writing off 500 of his own people, condemning them to madness. He didn't care. It would be a setback, but that was all. Beyond that, he didn't care. Visser 3 cared for nothing. Oh, wait. Visser 3 did care about one thing. Uh, and so she leaps forward as an, as an elephant, grabs him in her trunk, and throws him into the yerk pool as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so now... The other Yerks are not the only ones that are in danger of being affected by the oatmeal. He's also in danger of being affected by the oatmeal. Uh, And this uh, does, in fact, work to their advantage. This point, the Visser does go along with the trade. They free Jake, Tobias, and Axe, and they all head very carefully for one of the exits with Marco pointing the dragon beam the whole way up. Uh, and uh, Tobias demorphs first, and he's the one who sees that the Visser is morphing as they leave. Uh, he, the Visser is morphing into something that won't potentially absorb Yerk pool filled with oatmeal through his hooves. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Rachel still can't demorph. She's still in view. Um, and she says that Marco has to shoot. Um, and Tobias agrees, like, the Visser isn't leaving them any choice. He's, he's obviously willing to sacrifice these Yerks to, to get at the Andalite bandits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Tobias, uh, helps Marco aim. And Marco hits one of the barrels. 
and the oatmeal explodes into the water. And everything goes even more to shit. <laughs> As all the hork and humans and taxons are all rushing around trying to haul their viscera out of the water, trying to scoop up the madness-inducing oatmeal before it can dissolve completely. Uh, and then Rachel can't hold her own body any, hold her own body up anymore. She has been severely injured, um, and just can't walk anymore. Uh, so she has to demorph, which is eating up some valuable time, uh, as the viscer in a weird morph of a, like, pterodactyl looking thing with quills all over its back. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, she's demorphing as fast as they can. Uh, there are hork coming down the stairs towards them, so they're basically being pincered between the viscer in the pool and the hork coming down the stairs. Um, and they don't know what to do about it, but Rachel does the stupid fucking reckless thing. Uh, she grabs a dragon bean and turns and plows up the stairs right at the hork uh, and then she shoots the ceiling out from the tunnel. Uh, she tells everyone to go mole, and the the whole tunnel collapses on top of them. Mm-hmm. And then they have to dig their way back up. Yep. One this- by one. Mm-hmm. And there's this quote. It took a long time. I had to stop and hollow out enough space to demorph to human so I didn't, didn't end up trapped in Mulmore. Talk about wanting to scream. And, uh, that's just some high octane nightmare fuel for you. Yep. It sure fucking is. Uh, but on the second round she emerges, merges into the, into the Batcave. So it takes her more than Four two hours. hours. Like, four hours to get back to the Batcave. Mm-hmm. And and then another hour on top of that for everyone else to show up. Uh, we meet up in the absolute darkness one by one, then in a small, edgy, worried group. And Tobias is the last to arrive. Uh, and she yells at him for scaring her to death, uh, not knowing where he's been, being so worried about him. Uh... And he says, I was worried about you too, Rachel, with a smile in his silent voice. And I die. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's very good. Uh, and from there, they head out. They turn into bats. And with the other bats, they explode from the cave. Um we we get a nice nod to the fact that it just seems like they've been underground for ever because Cassie says it must be sundown and Rachel says well sundown of which day um and everyone heads for home too exhausted to even make dumb jokes or laugh or be happy we had survived but tired as she is she does one more thing uh and uh, we cut to her coming home and being yelled at by her mom for being out so fucking late. Uh, and then her mom gets a phone call. And apparently, Mr. Edelman 
has escaped from the institution. Uh, he's gone, ran away. But what's bizarre is how it happened. They're claiming a grizzly bear calmly walked in, knocked the doors down, and told the man in some kind of psychic way. I mean, you have to envision a talking grizzly bear. A psychic talking bear told the man. She checked the note she'd written down. Told him to leave, get out, but not do anything dumb like trying to hurt himself because the bear had had a really lousy day and didn't want to have to save him again. <laughs> <laughs> so we know what Rachel did before she came home. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we, we end the book with a short kickflip into the sun as Marco... Uh, drops off all of the oatmeal that he's been stockpiling and that they have no <laughs> real use for, I guess, um, because they've just decided, nah, we're, we're just gonna not with this anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it, it's... That was the end of the first and only great battle ever to involve oatmeal. Mm -hmm. And... By the way, if you ever see some poor, mad, deranged gentleman wandering the streets and raving away about things that live in his head, well, if you can handle it, give the man your spare change. Mm-hmm. And that's how it ends. Yep. <sighs> when I first read this for this recording, I was like, this book really isn't very good. Um, reading it the second time, it's a little better. Mm -hmm. Um, mostly because I skimmed over all the points that I didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> that always helps. Um, but, you know, it, it's, <clears throat> it's good to look at it from a more analytical point of view because, like, the writing isn't very strong. Um, the plot isn't super strong. Uh, but some of the emotions that they do get are good. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Even if it's not consistent all the way through the book. Um, I do really like the insight we get into Rachel um, being afraid, particularly uh, being afraid um, of being helpless. And then reacting to that by just going forward. Mm -hmm. um, but how did you like the book? Mm -hmm. Well, this is the first one I've read in like literal years. So, <laughs> uh, so it's just like, it's like, I remember all of the books being, cause I have read this one. Um, I forgot that the oatmeal book was sad, so, <laughs> but, um, I mean, I think the beginning was pretty slow, mm -hmm. but as you get towards the end, everything picked up and it got, like, way more interesting, because mm -hmm. I, I read this over, like, a couple days, and, like, the first, like, 40 pages were kind of a slog. Yeah. And then you get into the yerk pool and there's action and there's things happening. And it's so interesting. You just got to keep reading. It's great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. This is what I remember Animorphs being. 
<laughs> yeah, they they do action very well. Um, and sometimes they get the slower parts good, and other times they don't. Yeah. And you, you got like a mix in here a little bit. Um, and I could yeah. again definitely do without all of the sanism. Um, it did get better towards the back half because we're not actively interacting with George Edelman anymore. But, uh, you know, it's just uh, leaves a bad taste and influences how you feel the rest of the book goes. So, I feel like this is the bit where we do the ending questions. It is. Um, I do want to ask first, uh, what do you feel about the moral dilemma they have here of um, whether or not to use the oatmeal as a weapon against the Yerks? Mm, I understand why they have a dilemma about it, and I definitely think that using it on controllers who are just going to have an insane yerk in their head for the rest of their lives. That's that's a bad idea and a bad plan. I don't like it. But, like, putting it in the yerk pool, like, if they had had that idea from the start, I'm on board with that. Like, mm-hmm. I am, I'm, I'm very ruthless, and I'm, like, 500% on board with that. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Uh it it is in line with a lot of the other things that they have done, um, mm-hmm. in ter- in terms of hurting the yerks. I mean, they did destroy a Candrona, which essentially they knew would starve many yerks. Um, mm-hmm. And this isn't terribly different from that, um, yeah. in in some respects, because you you know for fucking sure that the Visser is not going to suffer those yerks to live. Like, mm-hmm. he is going to kill all of them. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, frankly, it makes me wonder why they didn't kill George Edelman or the other, like, oatmeal uh, mad yerks. Probably, my guess, would would be killing someone brings more attention than just them being... Insane, yeah. Insane, and... and People thinking yeah. that they are insane. Um. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, also, like, they mentioned with George Edelman, like, when the Yerk would take control of him, he would have spasms. So, like, mm-hmm. functionally, all of these people who have, you know, oatmeal-addicted Yerks in their heads are, are having seizures. So there's a very real possibility that they might die on their own without help just from mm. seizing up and falling somewhere inconvenient to mm. yeah you're very right yeah although it it is uh it does bring up uh, a question that comes up uh kind of tongue-in-cheek in the fandom a lot which mm-hmm. is like what the fuck do the doctors in this city think <laughs> you know that's a great ass question like are, are they scanning people because, like, I feel like you would be able to see the Yerk in their head. Like, presumably, the Yerks... Like, the in-universe explanation is just the Yerks have taken over the hospital, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, And we have seen that they have done that 
in many occasions. But also, that's a lot of hospitals. Yeah, there's gotta be one where some doctor is like, okay, t- uh, drink this particular thing that's got, you know, this pigment that changes. It's like, mm-hmm. wait, what the fuck is that in your head? Yeah. And, and, or even without doing a scan, just being like, huh, we've had like three separate occasions of people who, uh, seem to be insane, who believe that they have something in their head, have seizures, and yell out in this weird language, mm-hmm. like speaking in tongues, but they're speaking the same kind of tongues. Uh, and well, I can almost, uh, I can almost get not catching that they're speaking in the same type of tongues, mm-hmm. because... Uh, like Rachel mentions that the one that's in George's head must have had a Hork-Bajir morph at one point in time. So mm-hmm. it's entirely possible that one is like yelling in Hork-Bajir, another's yelling in Taxon. And that's hell, true. one might be just yelling in French. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, like <laughs> you start to notice a trend. Yeah. Like, if maybe there else, is some I... kind of new brain parasite. <laughs> right. Or, like, maybe the uh, instant maple and ginger has something wrong with it, because people are suddenly having seizures. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like that would a be recall a... of a product. <laughs> I know, right? That would be, like, a really good excuse. I'm glad they didn't think of it. But that would be just, like, a really good excuse to just get it out of the way. Mm-hmm. And, uh... Probably would have been a better way to introduce it to the story, too, now that I think about Mm. it. Yeah, where it's like, hey, why why is this suddenly being recalled? Yeah, and it's like, oh, it gives people seizures, and, you know, shit, it actually does. And then you find Mm. out, oh, they're having seizures because their Yerk's brainstem is getting replaced with oatmeal. God. (laughs) I know. Yeah, oatmeal. Oatmeal. Uh, so, what was your favorite part of the book? Mm, gosh, there's a few bits I liked quite a lot. Uh, like, I really love uh, Tobias and Rachel just doing her homework at the beginning mm-hmm. of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, also... Marco as a gorilla with the banana. That cracked me up. That cracked me yep. up a lot. Yep. And, um, so I, I think those two bits and, um, yeah, those, those are my favorite bits. Mm-hmm. How about you? Uh, I think my favorite part might be at the very end where they're having to just dig themselves out of the tunnel collapse. Um, because it's, it's written in a almost blasé way where like it's in the way that it's summarized, but Mm -hmm. the, the sheer kind of fridge horror of it Mm -hmm. is really potent. Like if you, if you stop to think about it at all, you're like, oh shit. Yeah. Uh, -uh. I'm surprised they all got out of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that was uh, 
there were so many controllers who should have seen them. Yeah, that that alone, just the whole escape is very hand-waved of, like, mm-hmm. why nobody recognized them or saw them or remembered their face. Um, Plot armor. Yeah. Uh, also, probably, I think they're, they're saying, well, the Hork-Bajir that would have seen them were killed under a tunnel collapse. Um, but even so, like, yeah, it's a lot. Um, but, uh, did anything surprise you? I think it surprised me that, like, she found a dragon beam. Because, (laughs) like, weirdly, uh, and I, and I blame Dante, but I'm like, I was a little bit surprised they didn't find one sooner. Mm-hmm. And also she didn't keep it. Jesus Christ. Dante is disappointed. Well, it would have been very hard to try to drag it out as a mole. Yeah. But, um. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it would have been super useful to hang on to. Uh, which mm-hmm. of course is why they couldn't hang on to it. Uh. Right. Um. Yeah, I don't think anything really surprised me, but. Uh, Was there anything? Oh shoot! What's the question Jade asks about? Uh, Something Uh, that came up that uh, I didn't remember. mm -hmm. Something similar to that. Yeah. Um, Which. I don't think so. I think I mostly remembered all of this. I don't think I remembered how scary the digging was. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I knew it on some level, but I didn't, like, it didn't internalize it. Uh, and I had totally forgotten the nice, tiny little, like, Rachel Tobias moments we get in here mm-hmm. that are really nice. Um, yeah. But the overall shape of the plot... Uh, I don't think I remembered the very end. Actually, the reason I didn't remember the very end and, like, what happens once they're in the Yerk pool is because of a fanfic. Um, <laughs> the the rationalist rewrite uh, by Darren the Mad Scientist. Um, mm-hmm. they, they do a completely different take on this that goes much better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's just, for some reason, I had envisioned that as, like, oh, well, yeah, they, they dig down, and they get the oatmeal, and they throw the oatmeal into the yerk pool. And I had totally forgotten that that was not their plan at all until they got in there and Cassie had the realization. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that, that that's something that I had totally forgotten about uh, and re-realized. Uh, was there any part that didn't make sense to you or that you didn't understand? Mm. Mm, nah, not really. Mm. Like, we've giggled about the brain stems turning to oatmeal. <laughs> but I, I'm just I'm, I'm just putting that with microchips and shark brains. Yeah, it's not supposed to make sense. <laughs> right. So... <laughs> Yep. Yep. How about you? No. Uh, 
I I can't believe I had totally forgotten about the brainstem shit. Like, <laughs> I had wiped it completely from my memory until Riley brought that up, and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Nope. I remember listening to you in that episode, too. <laughs> like, oh my god, you've got to be kidding me. And I was like, oh no, I remember that. Riley is correct on this one. <laughs> <laughs> like, it would have been so easy to just not include that detail. Uh-huh. And nothing would be different. Uh-huh. And yet. <laughs> and yet. Because, <laughs> like I said at the top, cocaine doesn't turn your brain into, your brainstem into cocaine. It is still very much bad for your brain and your body yeah. and your all of you. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, maybe they're just trying to scare teenagers again, like dare program shit. Like, don't do drugs, it'll turn your brain into the drug. Like, I don't think that's what they were going for. Yeah, that, that's that's a little uh, generous. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, honestly, I think probably part of the reason... Uh, well, like, I can't say probably, but it's entirely possible that they had the brainstem turning into oatmeal thing to make it less scary. Because... Uh, when you're a kid, it makes more sense that, oh, you're uh, going nutty because your brain has turned into something it's not supposed to be, mm-hmm. than just uh, all of your brain chemicals are doing weird things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because of something you ate. So yeah. It does beg the question of what a yerk's nervous system looks like. It sure does. Because, like, most, yeah, most insects, I mean, some insects do have, like, centralized, some sort of centralized nervous system, Mm -hmm. I believe, um, where they have, like, a collection of neurons that act as a brain, even though it's not necessarily what anyone would, most people would call a brain. Mm -hmm. Um, But for the most part, I think their nervous systems are decentralized. And Mm -hmm. it's strange to think of a yerk with a centralized nervous system, especially because they have to interface with the whole human brain. So it makes more sense for it to be very decentralized. Yeah. And they just interface at all points across their body. Yeah. Honestly, if you think about it too hard, like yerks as a concept don't really work because like, In nature, most things that take over the brains of other animals have only so many goals. Spread Mm -hmm. myself, uh, you know, consume, uh, make this creature, you know, uh, reproduce so that I can be spread further. Like, it's it's that sort of thing. And Mm -hmm. yurks are so complex in taking over their hosts and like arguably you can say like all of the yurks that have gotten to human hosts have been through a number of hosts already and have like learned a lot but like also like from a biological standpoint it doesn't make sense because what creatures want to do is they want to uh eat food not die and reproduce even humans, we're just complicated about it. So you're talking about, like, from an evolutionary standpoint. 
Yeah, yeah. Why would they have evolved to do this? There's some fan theories that the Yerks have evolved to um, infest people so that, like, they could travel from pool to pool mm-hmm. to, like, uh, for, like, genetic diversity reasons. Um, so, like, oh. a couple Yerks would infest some Geds in one pool and then go to a different pool. Um, mm-hmm. because otherwise the Yerks wouldn't be able to transfer anything between them. Yeah. Um, and then in the new pool, they could, like, exchange culture and, uh, uh and make Yerk babies. Um. Yeah. So that, that's the running fan theory as to why something like a Yerk might have evolved. The biology mm-hmm. of it, it is totally yeah, hand wavy yeah. sci-fi, but like <laughs> so is just all of an andalite. <laughs> like it's it's fun to do the speculative biology thing and just be like, well, how could that work? Like, uh-huh. what is what is like the surface level? How is it possible potentially in some universe for that to work? Um, right. But yeah, if, if, if you look too closely at it and just try to take it at face value, and even if you just try to take it from what is in the text, mm-hmm. it makes zero sense. You, mm-hmm. you have to kind of ignore some parts of the text and just like make your own conclusions in mm-hmm. order to get anywhere close to something that makes any kind of sense. But like, at least the Horfishier make entire complete sense. I don't know if this podcast has gotten to those books yet, but... We have seen the Horfishier once in book 13, mm-hmm. uh, where we uh, rescued the free Horfishier. But we haven't, okay. like, been to the Horfishier planet yet. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, that's what I thought. But, like, uh, like I know about, like, the hork uh mm-hmm. and their whole thing. That makes sense. But, mm-hmm. um... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The rest uh, of these are just supposed to be creatures that just evolved. Mm-hmm. The Andalites also kind of make sense because we learn who meddled with their development. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, but e- even then. <laughs> yeah. You know my calf's <sighs> luck on that particular one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, thank you for joining me on this adventure, Dirk. Um, and I look forward to talking talking to you in a couple books about number nineteen, the departure. Yeah. Um, why don't you remind everyone where they can find you? Yeah. Uh, again, Dirk, I use they, them pronouns. I don't think I said that at the top. Uh, you can find me at Hope's Hearth Podcast. It's a sci-fantasy actual play podcast about a luxury space commune created by alien refugees. You can find us on your podcatcher of choice. You can find us on Twitter at Hope's Hearth Pod. You can usually find me on Twitter at Hope's Hearth Pod. You can also find me at PF underscore Diva for all of the 18 plus stuff. So if you're not over 18, don't just, just go with Hope's Hearth Pod. And I've been Danielle. You can continue to find me on the internet at Redtail Talk 90. Um, uh, Jade will be back with us uh, 
soon. Um, and you can find them on the internet at Oxford Rose uh, and their home podcast, Follow the Leader, at FTLcast on Twitter. Uh, you can find my home podcast, The Room Where It Happened, at RoomwarePod on Twitter. Um, uh, go go check out our myriad projects. Uh, you can follow uh, Stones underscore Standing, which is the Standing Stones podcasting guild, where we kind of collect those many projects under one umbrella. Um, <laughs> There's some really awesome live streams going on right now, uh, Sagas of the Sunless Reach, um, that our good friend Zachary is, uh, uh, running and Jade is in. Uh, you definitely want to check those out. They've had two sessions so far, uh, and they've been really good. Um, definitely go and, uh, catch up on that. Um, and you can learn more about it again at the Standing Stones Twitter. Um, thank you all for listening. Let's do a clap. Hell yeah. At 25.